Father in heaven, here we are. And Lord, I just pray that you would hear the silent prayers of our heart just now as we ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would fill us with hope, that you would direct us to the way, the truth, and the life. Father, speak to us. Thank you, God, that you've promised that your strength is made perfect in weakness. May our hearts believe that more fully than ever before. But not just believe that your strength is made perfect in weakness, but may we also recognize the weakness of our hearts and our desperate need for you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you looked at her, she was emaciated. She was weak. She was pale. But as she walked along, I imagine that she tried to hold herself as upright as possible, that she tried to walk as if she was filled with energy, although she was exhausted. The crowd was pressing around. It probably felt like it was entirely too much. It had gone on too long. She had tried every other possibility, and surely this one wasn't going to fix her problem. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, where we pick up the story of a woman who was going through something of incredibly difficult proportions. Something that, honestly, I identify with a little bit after this past week. Mark chapter 5, and we'll pick it up in verse 21. This is right after Jesus has healed a demoniac, and he's sent him on his way to tell about who Jesus is in his, his area. He comes back across the sea because nobody wanted him on that side of the Sea of Galilee. It's about a seven and a half mile trip back across the Sea of Galilee. You can just barely see across the Sea of Galilee. He comes back across to the side of Capernaum, and as he lands there, look at what it says in verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Now, Luke adds in something fascinating here. This is a story that's captured in all three of the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of them capture this story. And Luke says this specifically. He says that the crowd was waiting for him. Now, what had he just gone over to do? He'd gone to get away, that's right. And as he went to, he found the, the, uh, the demoniac, he healed the demoniac, the pigs went into the sea, and then they said, we don't want you here anymore, you need to go back. Now you remember, that took all night and, and a day to come, and now he's coming back, and the people are just waiting there on the shore. Do you see the kind of anticipation that they have about who Jesus is? About what he's capable of doing? They've been waiting there on the shore with anticipation, just hoping, maybe Jesus will come back. We hope that he'll come back. He went over to the other side to minister to those heathens on the other side of the lake. But hopefully he'll come back soon. And they're just there waiting day and night for Jesus to come back. It says a great multitude had gathered together by him and he was by the sea there now this actually skips over part of what happens here he actually has in matthew it tells about how he went and had the feast at matthew's house here but jairus comes to him and asks with an urgent request he needs help and then we go on to verse 24 so jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and what does it say thronged him that's a really strong 
word in Greek, and it's even stronger, the word that's used in Luke. It's crowding around him. It's choking him. It's pressing in. It's jostling him. The crowd simply won't give Jesus a breath. As he's moving along, can you imagine being in a crowd where it's thronging him, it's crowding him, it's pressing in on him, it's jostling him. And as he's going along, verse 25 says this, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now if you pause right there, as a Jewish reader reading this, you realize something. This is a big deal. For 12 years, yes, it's it's a big deal to be sick. I can't imagine what it's like to be sick for 12 years because this past week I, I got sick on Tuesday and I think I'm getting pretty well today, but you don't have to shake my hand or come close to me. I won't be offended at all, right? I think I'm about well and I'm, I'm hopefully past the contagious part, but it felt like an eternity to be that sick that long. But for 12 long years, she has a flow of blood from her body. This is something that could potentially be deadly in that time and and age when uh, they didn't have the sanitization that we have today. They didn't have the ability to give her uh, uh, more blood. They didn't have all of the medical technology that we had today. But not only that, there was the stigma that came with having a flow of blood. Because there was the, the ritual laws that told when a woman had a flow of blood that she was unclean ceremonially for seven days. That meant that this woman for 12 years could not go to the synagogue. That means that for 12 years she could not go to the temple three times a year to go up to worship at the three different festivals during the year. You see how this is a huge deal in her life. But not only could she personally not go and do that, but do you imagine the separation that happens in her life as she's not able to to bond with her church family to come together? But not only that, any person that she touches becomes unclean and has to wait it out for until the evening and bathe in the evening. Her husband can't be with her. She, Her children wouldn't want to be close to her. Nobody wants to touch this woman. You imagine what that's like. I can imagine a little bit what it's like because I've spent the last four days in a closet in my room. I know, it sounds strange to just announce that in front of church, but I didn't want my babies to get sick. And I was contagious, right? Coming down with a cold. I had uh, a mask that anytime I went out with, I would have the mask and I would put on a hand sanitizer and do everything possible to, to not get the baby sick, to not get Leah sick, to not get my mother-in-law and father-in-law sick. I missed holding my babies. I missed being close to them. And that was only four days. I cannot imagine what it was like. I don't know how old this lady was. Maybe it was her children that she couldn't be close to. Or maybe it was her grandchildren that she couldn't hold. I don't know what it was like for her. But 12 long years, that separation, can you imagine the frustration, the loneliness, the, not only that, but as we keep on reading, look at what it goes on to say in verse 26, and had, what is the next word? Suffered, Suffered many things 
from many physicians. This doesn't speak well for the Galilean doctors of the day, right? She had suffered many things from physicians. You know, today we have great medical schools that work out uh, a, a, a system that, that, that helps us in many different ways. I'm very thankful for doctors. But back then, doctors made you suffer. <laughs> That's what this is telling us. That the doctors, I mean, they, they would bleed patients. They would, they had leeches. They had, uh, all different types of things. But for a, a, something like this in particular, uh, they had things like you had to drink uh, a wine with an onion, the Talmud says, or you had to, to take the ashes of an ostrich egg and during the, I think it was the summer, you carried it in a cotton bag and during the winter, you had to carry the ashes of the ostrich egg around with you in a different type of bag and she suffered many things at the hands of many different physicians. But not only that, she had spent all that she had on these worthless doctors. She had tried to do everything possible to take care of this. She's trying in her own strength to do everything that she can to get past what has limited the relationships in her life. What has kept her back from her religious life and her social life. She's trying to do everything possible and now she's got nothing. She spent all of her money. She has nothing to offer anybody else. Even if somebody comes up with a miracle cure at this point, she's got no pennies left in her pocket to be able to offer to a doctor to be able to get that miracle cure. She's got no hope left. Not only that, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Each doctor's visit that she went to was making her worse off. Each thing that she tried was exhausting her more, was taking her to the end of her strength until she felt like she simply could not go on anymore. So this past week I thought, you know, I got, I have to do whatever possibly can do in order not to get sick. When I thought that I was initially coming down with something, my wife uh, had texted my mom, I think, because I got a text message from my mom. And she told me something, a story that she's told me a few other times. She said, you know that uh, your grandma and grandpa always said that your great-grandpa Worrell, when he was feeling like he was going to get sick, he would just take a raw onion and he would eat it. And he wouldn't get sick. I said, okay, I have babies that need to stay well. I'm going to step up to the dad level now, and I'm going to eat a raw onion. So I went to the fridge, and I found a quarter of a raw onion that was in the fridge. And I got it out, and I ate it. And it was terrible. I don't even like eating raw onions on my salad, let alone biting into them like an apple. Then she said, take in a blender and put, put these different things in a blender. And so I took everything terrible that I could find, and I put it in a blender. I took cayenne powder and I put it in the blender. I took uh, turmeric powder and I put it in the blender. I took as many garlic cloves as I could find and I put it in the, the garlic. Not as many as I could find, but like six or seven. And I took lemons and I put it in there. And then I drank it. As, that was the most painful smoothie I have drinking. She did many things. And she only got worse. 
I felt a lot worse after that. (laughs) And as the days went on, and I kept getting worse, and I thought, now I actually am sick. Well, here's the deal. I didn't do what my great-grandpa actually did and eat the raw onion. So I said, okay, I have to do it. I have to eat the raw onion all on its own. So I began to eat it like an apple, bite by bite. And I just want to tell you, please never do this. Because it really, really, really hurts. As I kept eating the onion, you'll notice that in the last picture, the perspective changes. Because I'm laying on the floor. I no longer can stand and eat my onion because it's very, very painful. Uh, that's with chasing it with sweet potato and another smoothie that I made and kale. And Some of you were generous and, and came by and dropped off things to my house that I can't even name what they are. They're homeopathic remedies and I took all of those. Others gave me other advice and I did all of that possible. And I'm sure when I get in the lobby that others of you will tell me what I should have done so that I wouldn't have gotten sick or that I can get well now. And I want to thank you for that. And I don't mean to, to, to offend you for the, the remedies that you have that have made a difference in your life because they do make a difference and they have made a difference for me at different times. In fact, these ones have made a difference for me, not the raw onion. I've never done that before. But my point this week is I didn't get well. <laughs> it didn't work for me and I continued to be contagious. And it's no fun to feel like you're unclean. Especially when you have little girls that you want to hold. Especially when you, you watch your wife who's up all night and she needs a break and she's saying, can't you come help? And I say, well, I just don't want to get the baby sick. It's, I know it's not a huge trial. But to be contagious is no fun. What this lady went through for 12 years, I cannot begin to imagine the pain that she went through. I'm not talking just about physical pain and physical weakness. I could have cared less about the sore throat or anything else that I was going through. The pain that hurt me the most was that I couldn't be there to love my girls. I couldn't be there for my wife. That had to have been the pain that this lady was going through in the biggest way. To feel like she couldn't contribute to society. To feel like she's just a drain. To feel like she had come to the end of anything that she could possibly do. And she simply was not getting better. Thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus. Friends, have you heard about Jesus Not just about Jesus in a theological sense, but about a personal Savior who wants to step into your life today and the problems that you're going through today. She heard about Jesus. And when she heard about Jesus, she became came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Isn't that an amazing story? It goes on to say in verse 30, and Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? 
When you touch Jesus, when you come into contact with Jesus, when Jesus works in your life, it's not some impersonal thing, but Jesus himself turns and he looks and he knows what's going on in your life and he steps in close. This is an amazing story. But it's not just a story for us to be in awe and wonder, but it's the story of what Jesus wants to do in your heart and my heart, even today. The difference that he wants to make in our lives, because we too have a problem like this lady. If you look over in Luke chapter 5, now I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look there for a second, and then we're going to look back at the Old Testament to give it a little background for what's going on here. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to go down, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 8. We're going to go down to Luke chapter 8 and verse 44. So she comes behind him. He, this is the same story in verse 44. That she came from behind and she touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Now, do you notice anything different here from what Mark has recorded? Now, I started with Mark because Luke is a physician, and as a physician, he doesn't want to tell you about the physicians. So we had to start with Mark so that we could know about the physicians who mistreated this lady. Now, granted, when I'm talking about physicians, I'm not talking about modern-day physicians. I'm talking about first-century physicians who didn't know what they were doing. So Luke is a physician, and he doesn't want to tell us about that. But here we pick up more details in the story, because what does he tell us about what this woman does. You imagine she's weak, she's emaciated, she's probably been trying to follow Jesus from when he was at the Sea of Galilee. Now he's moving along through, maybe it's Capernaum, and she's trying to get close to Jesus. This crowd is thronging around Jesus, and she gets in her mind this hope. She says, if only I could just touch Jesus, I could be made whole. But what's the difference here? And what happened in Mark? Do you notice anything different here? Well, we kind of went over it quickly. But here it says, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. It specifies something specific. Not just that if I touch his garment, but specifically she touches the border of his garment. What's significant about that? Let's go back to Numbers chapter 15. In Numbers chapter 15, we find out What is significant about the border of the garment? Numbers chapter 15. It specifically tells us in verse 37 what an Israelite was to do with the borders of their garment. Now, Jesus being an Israelite who came to fulfill all these things would have done these things in his own life. Verse 37, it says, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a, what does it say? Blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the, what does it say? Commandments of the Lord and do them and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So what were they to do? They were to take their robe, they were to have tassels on it, and they were to weave into it what color thread? A blue colored thread in the tassels of their garments. And this was so that they could look down and they could see that. And what were they to remember? The commandments of God. And as they remember the commandments, that was to 
keep them from committing harlotry, from going away from the commandments, from going away from God. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. So these were to represent that they were to be a holy people. They were to be a set-apart people. That they were to be a people who were commandment-keeping people. That they were to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. And to love people as themselves. And that's what these tassels were to represent. And so on the hem of Jesus' robe, probably tassels with little blue threads going through them. Now, something interesting, if you tie this in with the book of Revelation, there's a people who stand in the end. Who are they? They're the people who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. There's a people who don't stand in the end, and they're a part of what's known as the harlot of Babylon. And the harlot of Babylon, if you look in Revelation chapter 17, and we won't go there and look in detail, the harlot of Babylon has on clothing that is similar to a priest, like you'll find that the priests are wearing, and it has the colors of the priestly garments, but there's one color that's missing. Can you guess what color is missing there? Blue. The blue is missing, which if you connect that to when the law was given and the sapphire under the throne of God and the rock that the, the Ten Commandments might have been cut from, and we're kind of jumping into a lot of things all at once here, but blue representing that perfect, whole, beautiful law of God, that law of love. So friends, as I read this story this morning, I realize that this isn't just about a lady with a hemorrhage in her life. This isn't just about a lady who's sick, but I realize that this story includes me. Because I turn to Isaiah chapter 64 and I read something about myself that I am exactly like this lady. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 says this, But we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. The word there in Hebrew is menstrual garments, menstrual clothes. It's what you would use to stop blood flow if you're a woman for 12 years having a hemorrhage in your body. We all are an unclean thing and all of our, what is it? All of our righteousness are like filthy rags. Friends, all of our attempts to keep the law of God, all of our attempts to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, all of our attempts to love the people around us are like filthy rags. And that's because we're hemorrhaging. We all have a sin problem in our hearts that leads us to not even be able to love like we're supposed to love. I shared with you just a couple of weeks ago about my hand. And now I'm sharing with you about sickness in my body. And pretty soon you're going to be like, man, this pastor, we need to get a new pastor. This pastor is going to die on us soon. <clears throat> there are so many things in our life that keep us from loving Have you experienced that? You want to love your son, your daughter. You want to love your husband, your wife. You want to love the people at work, your neighbors. 
You want to love God, but you find that it's just so hard and that so many things in your life make it so that you're so weak to actually be able to love. Am I the only one who feels that way or are all of you perfect and you're able to love? You see, this lady, people might have thought she was doing just fine. In fact, some scholars think that she was trying to avoid notice, that she was trying to not let the crowd know that she had just contaminated all of them, that all of them had to wait until that evening and take a bath, that they couldn't go to the synagogue, that they were unclean. People think that, that, that she didn't want people to know what was really going on inside. And I have a feeling that as Christians, oftentimes we put on a front when we come to church But there may be hidden hemorrhages in our life that we've simply got to reach out to Jesus for. You see, the answer wasn't in the physicians. It wasn't in spending all of her money doing everything possible to fix the hemorrhage. There was nothing she could possibly do to make herself whole again. And neither can you or I make ourselves whole again. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves well from the hemorrhage that is going on in our hearts. You cannot work up enough love to truly love God with all your heart. You cannot work up enough love to truly love people with all your heart. Your righteousness, my righteousness, is like filthy rags. It's like a hemorrhage going out of us. So what do we need? Let's go back to Luke. And we pick up this story of how Jesus responds to this woman. In verse 45, And Jesus said, who touched me? When, this is Luke 8, verse 45. When all denied it, everybody's saying, not me, I didn't touch you, it wasn't me. Peter and those who were with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Peter says, everybody's bumping into you. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's coming alongside. Everybody knows about you, Jesus. Everybody believes in you, Jesus. I mean, isn't everybody in America basically a Christian anyway? If you go to their door, most people will tell you that they're Christians. I've experienced it. People will tell you, do you go to church? No. (laughs) There's a lot of Christians who believe in Jesus. There's a lot of people casually coming in contact with Jesus. But friends, that's not enough. The people were thronging Jesus. They were jostling Jesus. They were touching Jesus. They knew about Jesus. They were even following Jesus. They wanted to be close to Jesus. But they weren't desperate for the righteousness that Jesus alone could offer them. You see, Jesus is the only one who is worthy to wear a robe that had the law in represented on the bottom of it. Jesus lived a perfect life and his righteousness is something that he wants to freely offer to every one of us to make us whole just like he made this woman whole. I love what he goes on to say. Verse 47, the woman finds out that she can't hide. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Verse 48, and he said to her, what did he say? What did he say to her? Daughter? This is the only time that Jesus calls anybody in the entire Bible, daughter. 
It's his daughter. You see why she's made well? She's been adopted by the king of the universe. He looks at her and he says, daughter, daughter, be of good cheer. What did she do to deserve this? She simply reached out for the healer. She simply recognized her need of something greater than herself. That is the key to a successful Christian life. To reach out for a power that is greater every moment of every day to abide in Him and say, God, I don't have what it takes, but you do. You have the righteousness, I don't. And until we get that, we're going to continue failing. We're going to continue hemorrhaging. And we're going to not be able to love the people in our lives that we so desperately want to love. Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. What is faith in that instance? Is faith something where she just had mustered up in her this special belief about who Jesus was? Or was it simply her desperate need and her belief that Jesus cared about her? I love what it says at the end. Your faith has made you, what's, it says well there. And this is the, the word that we would think of for, for physically making somebody well from a sickness. And that's something that I was longing for this week. But that's not the word that's used here in the Greek. The word that's used here is sozo. And I was reading a Greek, uh, a pastor who's a well-known Greek scholar, uh, this, this, this past week. And he said, what you could really translate this is, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has saved you. There's something bigger going on here than just stopping bleeding. There were other people in that crowd that were healed that day, I believe. But this woman, she came in contact with the righteousness of Jesus and she was forever changed by it. She became a daughter of the God of the universe and she trusted in a righteousness that was bigger and better than her. She stopped looking to physicians, to to methods and, and abilities that she could come up with. And she looked to what Jesus could do for her. That's the only way. The only way that you and I can also go in peace and be made whole. The book Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 332. I was reading this book this week and was struck by this. And then it connected directly into this story. It says, no man can look within himself and find anything in his character that will recommend him to God or make his acceptance sure. It is only through Jesus, whom the Father gave for the life of the world, that the sinner may find access to God. There is no other way. There is no other possibility. There is no other option for any of the problems in our lives but Jesus. And until we get that, we're going to keep hurting. We're going to keep hemorrhaging. We're going to keep bleeding. We're going to keep being weak. goes on to say, Jesus alone is our Redeemer, our advocate, advocate and mediator. In Him is our only hope for pardon, peace, and righteousness. It is by virtue of the blood of Christ that the sin-stricken soul can be restored to soundness. It's because of Jesus that you can have wholeness today. You can walk out of here knowing that you are made right with God, that you have peace with God by Jesus and Jesus only, by his righteousness, by looking to his garment, by, by looking to his robe and saying, he perfectly kept the law. I can't, 
But I accept that he loved God with all his heart. That he loved the people around him with all of his heart. And I want for him to fill my heart. I want for him to live that same life in me. In the book, Ministry of Healing, talking about this same story, it says, To the curious crowd pressing about Jesus, there was imparted no vital power. We can be curious about who Jesus is. We can study the Bible. We can study all kinds of doctrines. We can look into all these things and we can enrich our minds. But that's not enough. The crowds receive no vital power, it says. And then it goes on to say this, but the suffering woman who touched him in faith received healing. So in spiritual things does the casual contact differ from the touch of faith. To believe in Christ merely as the Savior of the world can never bring healing to the soul. The faith that is unto salvation is not a mere assent to the truth of the gospel. True faith is that which receives Christ as a personal Savior. This morning, that's what you and I need to know more than anything else. Is Jesus our personal friend? our personal Savior? Have we reached out and touched Him for ourselves? Are we just a part of the crowd, pressing in around Him and observing Him? Or do we wake up in the morning anxious to be with our friend Jesus? Do we all day long cry out for our friend Jesus? Do we ask Him to live in our hearts? Is Jesus a personal Savior? This is what truly matters. This is what eternal life is all about knowing Him as your personal Savior, your personal friend. Friends, I'm desperate for this. I can't stand being a hemorrhaging Christian. I can't stand being a contagious Adventist in the wrong way. All right? This last weekend, we had the awesome Contagious Adventist seminar that was an amazing thing. And somehow, Somebody there, Linda pulled it, pointed out to me in the laughing, even though I was feeling sick, and that's okay, I, I thought it was funny too, uh, that somebody was contagious there and got me sick, potentially. It could have been somewhere else too. I went other places. This week, I became a contagious Adventist. An unstoppable force in my body was seeking to hurt the people in my life. I didn't know how to stop it. I had a mask on. I was in the closet. I ate raw onions. I ate smoothies. I ate salads. I didn't eat anything bad all week. I tried, and I don't try to eat bad things anyway in the first place. But on Wednesday, my father-in-law was dismissed by my mother-in-law to go home because he wasn't feeling so well. And I just kept praying, God, just don't let Leah get sick. <laughs> and then she started feeling sick yesterday. This morning, I finally got to hold my babies again. I missed that. It's an amazing feeling. Their soft skin, their cute little voices, even their cry is adorable. And then I noticed something. Abby was getting all congested. You know how terrible that makes a dad feel? (laughs) To know that you may be the one to give your daughter her first cold? (laughs) 
she'll be okay, don't worry. <laughs> but the point is this, friends. We're contagious one way or the other. We're hemorrhaging. And if we haven't found a born-again relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're hiding something in the background, we're trying to pretend like that hemorrhage isn't there, it's going to be contagious. It's going to defile everybody in the crowd. It's going to eventually hurt our own family. And more than I care about this, I want for Jesus to fix that problem in my own heart completely. I want for him to seal my heart. I want for him to live in my heart so that my girls don't experience a dad who's contagious in the way of sin. But they experience a dad who loves them like Jesus loves them. They experience a dad who knows Jesus as a personal Savior and that they want that for themselves. Friends, that's why this morning I'm just here standing and saying, I want for the hemorrhage of my heart to be healed afresh today. I've asked for it time and time again, day in and day out, but I just want to say again this morning, I want for Jesus to heal the hemorrhage in my heart. My righteousness is filthy rags, but Jesus is absolutely everything. And this morning, if you want to say, Jesus, I want for you to be absolutely everything to me today. I want for you to heal the hemorrhage in my heart. I want to look to you and live I want to grab a hold of your garment. I want to touch you in a way that's not just a casual touch, but in a way that brings life. I just want to invite you to stand with me. And as you do, I want to put up a final slide um, that just has a picture of something that's coming up just a month from now. April 19, if my voice will hold out. Lee Venden is coming, and he's doing something called the All About Jesus Seminar. This is an amazing thing that we actually requested back in 2015, and we were on a waiting list all the way since then. When Esther Knott, our guest speaker last weekend, found out he's coming here, she's like, wow, do you have overflow available? Like, this is going to be a really big deal. That's what she was telling us last Sunday. I want to encourage you, first and foremost, consider coming to this. It's April 19 to 27, it's Saturdays, it'll be three times, Sabbath school, church, and then in the afternoon. And then on Sunday and all during the week, it'll be 6.30 p.m. Just for one week, 6.30 p.m., and then again the next Sabbath. Do you think you could do that? Just commit to one week of focusing on reaching out and touching Jesus as a personal Savior? I really want to encourage you to consider coming to every night of the All About Jesus seminar. But not just to come on your own, but to pray about who you might invite. Yes? There's a testimony right there. <laughs> Don't miss it. He went to it last week and was blessed by it. You can talk to him, talk to him about it afterwards. You can also call up Bruce Boriak. He's been calling various ones of you, letting you know that I told him to call all his friends because he, he heard it in Arizona. It was a blessing to him. This isn't, though, about Lee Venden. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is everything. And if we don't get that, we miss everything. We won't make it through the end without Jesus. We won't make it through tomorrow without Jesus. We need a Savior. So I encourage you to join uh, when we had our leadership brunch last Sunday. Many of you committed to pray for 40 days for five people and to pray how God might have you reach out to them and maybe even invite them to this. 
I encourage you to join me in doing the same thing. I'm praying for five people. I've reached out to them. It was amazing. One of the people haven't been to church in a while. Lee and I were literally walking from our house through our neighborhood nearby, taking the girls on a walk before I got sick. And we're praying, God, who do you want us to pray for of the five people? And we walk past the baseball field and out walks somebody who hadn't been to church in a long time. I said, okay, here's the person that you want for me to be praying for and reaching out to. And hopefully I can give them and their family an invitation to come to the seminar. But who's God calling you to reach out to? He'll open the doors if you only ask him. Because it's all about Jesus. If we will only reach out and touch his garment, if we will only reach out in faith to him as a personal savior whose righteousness alone is enough for the hemorrhage of our hearts. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you are enough. And Jesus, you are contagious. When this woman touched you, it didn't affect you, but you affected her. And God, the more that we touch you, the more you'll impact us. And we'll be able to be contagious Christians to this world that people will recognize your goodness. They'll come in contact with us in a way that they see that there's something different about us. God, we need your righteousness. Lord, I recognize that my righteousness is filthy rags. I keep trying to love and falling short of it. I need a Savior. Would you please fill me and fill each of us with yourself? Would you live out your life within us? Would you help us to believe this morning that you are not just the Savior of the world, but that you're the Savior of me. Father, let that sink deep into our hearts. and Help us not to walk out of here and forget it, but help us to continue to trust in you as our personal Savior. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.